It begins with openness. The willingness to come alongside someone else. To pour out. Care. Invest. It's about sharing the journey. Doing life. Together. Growing. Forging. Becoming. It's about selflessness. Caring enough to walk through the valley. Even when it's painful. To love people as Christ has loved us. It's rejoicing when they rejoice. Hurting when they hurt. Being a hand. An encourager. A friend. We were not created to wander alone. For as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Good morning. It's good to worship God together with you. My name is Gary, and if you're new here, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest today. I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming place. Kids, it's always good to see y'all here. It's good to have kids in our church buildings and seeing them run around have fun. Kids, I hope you guys have fun at church. When you think about God being the creator, he created fun. And so it's good for kids to have fun when they're together here at church. And so uh, kids, we're going to go ahead and dismiss you to Kids Church. Kids Church is for children grade in kindergarten through sixth grade. They'll be dismissed to the lobby after church is over. And if you have a little one leaving uh, to go to Kids Church, I would invite you to join us on Wednesday nights for family night. With the new year, we have some new leaders who are leading our kids in family night. Jordan and Becca Gunner are helping uh, to, to lead the kids on Wednesday nights, and they're doing uh, some fun things with them for sure, but they're also continuing what we're learning on Sundays. And so, if, like I said, if, you're, if you had one just leave to go up to Kids Church, they will be right at home here on Wednesdays too. Uh, also on Wednesdays, our student ministries with grades uh, 7 through 12, they're in full swing on Wednesday nights. And then our adults are meeting for family night as well. And we are talking through the application points of what we're discussing here in this biblical church series. So join us, would you, on Wednesday nights. Uh, worship begins at 6 o'clock over in the chapel across the way. Uh, but this morning, we're going to continue our series called Biblical Church where I'm leading us through several different biblical purposes of the church, and thus several different biblical purposes for the Christian. Christians are the church. The church is comprised of Christians, and I almost messed up a minute ago, and I've tried really hard, and I probably failed. You've probably done the same thing, but I'm really trying not to call this building or our buildings the church. Christians are the church. We are the church. These are our buildings. These are where we gather, where the church gathers, and we collectively worship God, and we encourage each other in these buildings. But we, we are the church. These buildings are important, and they will continue to be important, uh, and they will be central to much of our ministries, but, but again, they're not the church. 
you and I, we are the church, those of us who are following after Jesus. And as the church, we're exploring what the Bible says we should be about, collectively, together. We are seeing, I hope, that what the Bible says to the church, the Bible also says to the Christian. Last week we saw that we are to worship God personally and collectively. I hope that your personal time of worship this week has been meaningful. Our personal worship impacts our collective worship. Our collective worship today will hopefully strengthen your personal worship this week. But this morning we're going to focus our time on the biblical purpose of fellowship. The church and the Christians, we are called to fellowship. Now, I don't know about you, but fellowship is kind of a dated word or a term that is a little bit unclear. It seems almost religious for most of us as we talk about fellowship. It's a bit confusing because we use this term in the church, but the university system uses the term fellowship, and they're two totally different definitions. In the university uh, system, the term refers to somebody in graduate school or uh, postgraduate study and they receive a scholarship or a stipend to continue. That is nowhere near where the church means uh, when it speaks of, of, scholar, of, of fellowship. And I mention that just because you may have an educated, unchurched friend who might be confused at your use of the word fellowship. Many Baptist churches like ours, we like fellowships uh, because we define those as potlucks or meals and lots of fried chicken usually, doesn't it? Um, we have often in our rooms, in our buildings, the second largest room dedicated to fried chicken and mashed potatoes. We call those fellowship halls. The church will generally call anything the church does fellowship, especially if we don't pray or we don't uh, preach or sing. We'll call that fellowship. We'll try to spiritualize an activity and call it fellowship. But what is fellowship? That's what I want us to understand this morning. Let me give us a, sim a simple definition of fellowship. It'll be in your notes there too. Fellowship is the friendly, active connection with others centered around something shared. The Oxford Dictionary calls it a friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. The Lexham Survey of Theology says it this way, fellowship describes the unity and community of the church that can exist because of the gospel. Can you see how those two definitions relate? I think these two definitions are helpful, but I want to give us one more. And this is from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. Fellowship is the essence of Christian life. Fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers in Christ. This morning, I want us to see that this idea of fellowship is the essence of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Fellowship is the biggest thing the church struggled with during the COVID lockdowns. We couldn't fellowship. We couldn't be together. But to put fellowship in terms understood by COVID, fellowship is essential to what it means to be a Christian essential to mean to be what it means to be one who follows after Jesus. In other words, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, and I would say it's impossible, to follow Jesus 
outside an active connection to the local church. It's impossible to follow Jesus outside an active connection to a local church. Fellowship speaks of a sense of belonging to each other and with each other and also to God. Last week we discussed that we were created to worship. This week I want us to understand that we gather to fellowship. We gather to fellowship. We gather to connect with God. (coughs) As we gather, we fellowship. I had a pastor in my past who described fellowship like this. He said, it's two fellows in a ship. You can't, you can't, you know, if you're in a ship and you're two fellows in a ship, you're going to get to know each other. You're going to spend time with each other because you're in the confines of a ship. Now, I don't know if that's the best definition of fellowship, but it's definitely one that stuck with me for the past 20 years. and um, I, think it's, I think it's helpful. But biblically speaking, the term fellowship is much more than just gathering. Fellowship is participating. It's active. It's participating. It's not passive. It's connecting. It's sharing. It's spending time with one another. And it's all because of the gospel. The biblical word for this in Greek is koinonia. Koinonia is the act of sharing in activities or privileges of an intimate association or group. This is one of the Greek words that many people in the church are familiar with. Have you heard that term before, koinonia? It's in the New Testament about 20 times. Let's look at perhaps the most popular passage in Acts 2, 42-47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this example of the early church being devoted to your teaching, to the word, to the fellowship with each other, and to you, Lord, to spending time over meals and to praying together. Lord, through that we see that all came upon every one of them in And you were working wonders and signs through them. And those who believed, they had all things in common. Lord, let this be the the example that we follow as White Plains Baptist Church. As we spend time together and break bread together, that we have glad and generous hearts and we praise you for it. And Lord, that our fellowship would lead to favor with others in the community. And Lord, that you would use our fellowship with you and each other to Add to us those who are being saved. You are good to us, and we thank you again for your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the early church devoted themselves to just a few things. 
Just a few things is what they did. They were devoted to teaching, to spending time with each other through fellowship and meals and through prayer. Now, part of this devotion included that everyone had things in common. This was an important part of life in the early church, especially as they were persecuted and struggled to, to find jobs because they wouldn't bow down to the emperor or their faith made it difficult for them to have uh, income. It was helpful to, to share things like this. And they, they met regularly. They went to the, the temple together. They met in people's homes together. They, they had joyful fellowship with each other. And they praised God because of it. The community saw this. They wanted, part, they wanted to be a part of that. Fellowship was instrumental in the growth of the early church. Biblical fellowship continues to be instrumental in the growth of the church today. Have you seen our church's logo? It's on the bulletin. Uh, all churches have logos. Uh, a logo is a brand of a brand image for an organization, but a logo, while it's not important to have, it's very helpful, especially for the church to be known in, an or, in a community. Uh, can we see the, the logo? Is it? Yeah, there it is. Um, it's in your bulletin. It's on the wall behind you. I want you to focus for just a moment on that symbol, the, the yellow, the gold part of that logo. What do you see in that image? If you're kind of nerdy like me, you see a computer icon. I don't know. If you've ever tried to resize a screen on your computer, you'll, you'll see that image pop up. It's, our logo is basically a resizer icon from a computer. From the very beginning, I believe, and I, if I'm wrong, please let me know, but I, I think our church has had the same mission or the vision statement that's on the back wall there, empowered by God to reach others for Christ. Have you ever heard of that phrase? Have you seen it? It's like right there. Um, it's an important phrase for this church. I think it's a good vision statement. It is a bit limited in what all the church does, but it is biblical and it is reminiscent of the time our church was planted in the 60s. But if you look at the, resi the resizer icon of our logo, can you see that image of being empowered by God in that vertical line, reaching others for Christ in the horizontal lines with the arrows. I think our logo does a good job of sharing that story, but like I said, it's not the only story that the church should be about. It's not the only story that I think our logo can help share. As we reimagine what um, the church can look like coming out of, a, of the COVID era, I'm hoping that we can use this logo to continue to tell us much about what the church is meant to do, what the church's mission is. I think it can. And through this series and through the upcoming uh, Reimagined Church workshops, we're going to begin to see several stories come out of our logo, because that's what logos do. They tell stories. This morning, I want to add another layer of a story on top of our logo. So in your notes, as Christians, we have fellowship with God and other Christians. As Christians, we have fellowship with God and other Christians. Can you see this in that logo? Do you see our fellowship with God in that vertical line? 
Do you see our fellowship with each other in that horizontal line, the one with arrows? Now we're going to define these vertical fellowship and a horizontal fellow, horizontal fellowship in just a moment, but I want to see I want you to see that in our logo. This is just one more story that I want us to be able to see as we see our our media. As you're walking around our be, our building and interacting with our emails or our social media, I want you to be reminded of the of the stories that our logo tells. This morning we're going to see that in our logo, our vertical fellowship with God and our horizontal, horizontal fellowship with other Christians is there. So what does our vertical fellowship with God entail? Biblically, our fellowship with God is seen in the close relationship that creation had with God before the fall. As a result of sin in the fall, that fellowship that relationship with God was broken. And more than broken, sin disrupted the closeness that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God. They became enemies of God because of their sin and because of God's holiness. We have this narrative play out in Genesis chapter 3 and in Genesis chapter 4. And despite the fall, and the separation that sin causes, being enemies with God, God longs to be with his creation. Despite us being enemies of God, God longs to be with his creation. This is a characteristic of God's love. God longs to be with you. God wants to be with you. God loves you. As you survey the rest of the Old Testament, you see this play out. God begins to choose a people to become close with. But sin continues to plague creation's closeness with God. By Genesis 6, sin totally corrupts everything. And this is where we have the flood narrative in the Bible. God chose to break off fellowship at the flood by destroying all creation. Let's look at Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Every intention of the hearts of creation was only evil continually. How does that feel to know that every intention of the thoughts of creation was only evil continually? This is a phrase, this is a part of the Bible that many churches tend to ignore. Because the world wants to tell us that we're good. 
The world wants to tell you that you're okay the way you are. The world wants you to know that you can have whatever you want and it's okay. Scripture says a different story. Scripture says that every intention that creation has is only evil all the time. How often is that? How often is all the time? It's all the time. How much is only evil? How much good is in only evil? None. This is in the Bible. Many churches ignore this part, like I said. Online pastors and preachers don't speak of sin. They only, oftentimes they only fill us with, with bubblegum theology that makes us feel good. I've often said be wary of online preachers because they don't give you the full story. Many times they don't. They ignore this part. Our friends over in the Methodist church are currently dealing with something very similar to this because the United Methodist Church is saying it's okay to stay in your sin and be close to God. That's a lie. What did God do with the flood? He destroyed creation because of sin. I will agree, as a pastor who reads and studies the Bible, I will agree with our Methodist friends who say that it's okay to come to God in your sin. You don't have to get it right before you come to God. You can come to God in your sin for sure, but don't expect to stay there. It's not true that you can remain in fellowship with God and stay in sin. Don't expect that God wants you to stay there and don't expect God to affirm sin in your life. Every intention, only evil continually. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. It breaks our closeness with God. In the span of just over a thousand years, from creation in Genesis 1 to the flood in Genesis 6, sin has brought God to regret that He made man. We must understand this. Sin is terrible. I don't know if we have enough words in our English language to describe the effects and the devastation of sin. Every intention of the thoughts of creation's heart was only evil continually. Sin did this. It only took a thousand years for it to utterly destroy. Do you realize the terrible state your sin keeps you in apart from Jesus? Left unchanged, your sin will destroy you. This is the message of the Bible. This is the message of the church. This is what online pastors should say. Because this is what the Bible says over and over in the Old and New Testaments. If you remain apart from Jesus, your sin will forever separate you from God and those you love who follow Jesus. Sin is a big deal. But notice in verse 8, Noah found favor in God's eyes. In God's desire for his creation, he kept Noah righteous. Noah must have stood out in his time. He must, it, he must have been weird. 
It must have been different from what the world was as far as the way Noah conducted himself. For if every intention of the thought of creation was only evil all the time and Noah was righteous, he must have looked different. He must have acted different. He must have spoke differently than the way the world does around him. God saves Noah, and he begins to make promises to the people to follow, that follow after Noah. And even though God purged creation with the flood and only saved Noah and his family, sin remained. It's a problem to this day. It's a problem to this moment. So God chooses another, Abraham, and makes promises to him and builds a nation for him from him. He gives the, that nation that people rules to live by to help stay connected and to maintain their closeness for them to have fellowship with him and for him to show his love toward. Sin continues and the people separated to be close to God. At the flood, God promised never to wipe out creation again. God keeps his word. As I'm giving you an overview of the Old Testament, we're still in Genesis. And we might be 1,500 years removed from the flood as the story of Abraham continues. But God remains angered by sin. He doesn't destroy the people like he did in the flood, but he allows them to go into captivity and to be enslaved. This gives us a picture that we are slaves to sin. We are slaves to our sin. But in God's great love for us and his desire for fellowship with him, he raises up a leader among the enslaved people to lead them out of their enslavement. And the Exodus tells us this. The Exodus, the second book of the Bible, shows us the main central theme of the Old Testament. If you've ever spent much time in the Old Testament, the Exodus is central to the story that's developed in the Old Testament. God chooses a people to fellowship with, and he rescues them from the state their sin has put them in. The rest of the Old Testament deals with this love that God has for this chosen people and this passion for fellowship that he has with his people. The Exodus, though, it ultimately points us to the cross, the cross of Jesus, the cross is the central theme of the New Testament and further demonstrates God's desire for you to have fellowship, to this vertical fellowship, this closeness with you. And at the cross, we see God's ultimate desire for fellowship with his people. And when you look at our logo, you see that vertical line. As you look at that vertical line in our logo, remember the Exodus and the cross, the extent that God goes to maintain fellowship with you. God desires you to be close with him. That vertical line tells us that God wants to be close with you. You can enjoy that fellowship with God only by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus is the one who finally and ultimately restores that broken relationship that sin causes and unites creation back to its God. Are you trusting Jesus? Not did, you, not did you trust Jesus, but are you trusting Jesus? 
Trusting Jesus is agreeing that your relationship with God was broken and that He is the only way to be restored back to God. Now you may be thinking, Gary, we're talking about fellowship. That's potlucks and get-togethers. Now we'll get there, but it's important for us to understand biblical fellowship is both vertical fellowship and horizontal fellowship. It's the ending of football season. We just had the biggest blowout in college football bowl series uh, history, and the Super Bowl is coming up in a few weeks. And in thinking through our horizontal fellowship with each other, I think it's helpful to be thinking about the Super Bowl for just a moment. In their book, Habits of Grace, pastors John Piper and David Mathis say this, true fellowship is less like friends gathered to watch the Super Bowl and more like players on the field in blood, sweat, and tears huddled in the backfield only in preparation for the next down. This is helpful, I think, as we re-examine what we think of as horizontal fellowship with each other. This is the kind of fellowship, this active, participating fellowship that I want, us, I want to point us to. It's active. Fellowship is act, it's not passive. Fellowship is active in our vertical relationship with God, and it's active in our horizontal fellowship with each other. The Psalms are helpful. Let's look at Psalms 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It is one thing to be unified and cheering for your favorite team. It is a whole other thing to be unified, playing together in a championship Super Bowl game together. Much like in football, a church that fellowships well battles for unity to achieve what God has called her to, not from the stands, but from the field. This can be difficult because we live in a culture that values all opinions as truth. What God has called the church to is found in Scripture, and it's good. The biblical purposes of the church are good. A church that fellowships, a Christian that fellowships, serves the biblical mission of the church together with others, fighting for God, the community, and each other. Sometimes, in your notes, sometimes horizontal fellowships Fellowship brings discipline. In horizontal fellowship is we fight to remind each other and hold each other up to that vertical fellowship that we enjoy with God. Sin creeps in and causes division, pain, and hurt. Have you ever heard the verse from Matthew 18 that says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Many times, this verse is misquoted (coughs) to promote that God is with us in our midst as we worship and pray. 
together. God is with us when we're alone worshiping and praying. He's with us when we're together, but he's also with us when we're alone. What this verse in Matthew 18 is saying, it has nothing to do with worship and praying together. It has everything to do with fellowship and discipline. Let's look at the context of this passage a little bit deeper. Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on anything, about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among them. There is power in biblical fellowship of the church. This is that power to help restore believers who are stuck in their sin. Believers who are blinded by their sin. The church comes together and lovingly restores them through biblical fellowship. Remember the story of sin in the Old Testament. It continues even as God works through the flood and captivity. We are slaves to sin. Jesus gave us gives us final and permanent victory over our sin, but on this earth and in this life, we are still victims of sin's hold on us. Now, I don't want you to name any names or discuss anybody's private life on your way home this morning, but you don't have to think too long to come up with a list of people who genuinely follow after Jesus and still struggle with sin. Some of you all are walking through sinful situations right now, and the point is that even in the church and in the life of the person following after Jesus, sin remains. Real horizontal fellowship helps to lovingly and graciously restore each other. We miss this when we think of fellowship as only potlucks and get-togethers. Fellowship has the power to call back a wandering soul to his first love. Fellowship has the power to strengthen the bonds of belonging to God and to each other. A church that practices biblical fellowship stands out from the religious community around her as that championship football team rises to victory at the end of the season. A church that practices biblical fellowship is unstoppable in her ministry to God and the community and each other. Remember what Jesus tells Peter in Matthew 16, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter had just told Jesus that he is the Christ. Jesus agrees with that statement and tells 
Peter that that statement that Jesus is the Christ is what Jesus will build the church on. The gospel is what we respond to as we come to Christ for salvation. The gospel is what we continue to hold ourselves to, especially as sin so easily entangles us. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We need to remind each other of the gospel. We need to demonstrate the gospel to each other. We need to belong to each other through horizontal fellowship for us to share this gospel with each other. Hell will not beat the church, will not have victory over the church, the church that practices biblical fellowship. Jesus promises that. He keeps his word. And whatever the church does as she pursues each other is powerful and it's effective according to Jesus because Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit is inside of us and collectively as we gather in friendly activity and connecting with each other, let us keep the gospel at the center of what we do. And as you look at our logo, as you see that horizontal line with those arrows, think of that power of horizontal fellowship. That power that we have because God is with us. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. Much of fellowship begins around a table and in friendly get-togethers, absolutely. But it is so much more powerful than fried chicken or a cup of coffee. I'll invite the worship team to come back up, and as they come, I would ask you to examine, first, your vertical fellowship with God. If you know much of the Bible, remember the Exodus. Remember the cross. They point to God meeting your needs of connecting with Him. You cannot have fellowship with God without trusting Jesus. It's impossible. Will you trust Jesus today? Then also think about your horizontal fellowship with each other. Are, there's, are there some in this room or among our church that you've sinned against or sinned against you? Go to them. Seek reconciliation. God is with us as we lovingly and graciously deal with each other in hopes of restoring each other. God is good. He loves us. He loves you. He loves this church. He is at work within us. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You for Your desire for us. Even when we sin and rebel, You still chase after us. Lord, for those in the room who have never trusted You for salvation, Lord, I pray that You would You'd be working in their minds and in their hearts and through their life, showing them that you love them and you want that fellowship restored. That they can have that with Jesus. Lord, I pray that for those of us who've decided to follow Jesus, Lord, that you would help us to maintain a closeness to you and to each other. 
Help us to prioritize us gathering for fellowship because there's power in fellowship as we work with each other to achieve what you have for us to do as a church and as Christians. Let us deal with each other with love and grace as you've done that with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.